Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Welcome back. Good evening, everyone. Another episode of Dentist Who Invest podcast, episode number 20, would you believe? We're absolutely hammering through these. So this is a significant episode. And for such a significant number, I thought I'd have a really significant guest who's going to speak on something really interesting tonight. That is a little bit controversial. I'm very conscious of that. But the more opinions we can get on a matter, the more chains in our armor, the more knowledge we're equipped with and a better decision we can make. You've seen it on the group, I'm sure. This podcast is on the topic of buy to lets. Are they still a good idea? We've got someone eminently qualified to speak in that matter. I'm really interested here what he has to say. This is a new one for me. The received knowledge is we get as many houses as we can, but as we all know, received knowledge and what actually, you know, reality, they don't always marry up. So I'm really interested to hear what he has to say. His name is Matt Rickard. You may or may not have seen him on the group. Matt, how are you tonight? I'm doing really well, James. Yes, great to be uh, chatting through this, like you say, quite controversial subject. I'm really looking forward to getting into our teeth and having a really good conversation on it. Interesting stuff. For anybody who cannot see the video, Matt is perched in his office and he's got the most wonderful leather chair. I'm very jealous. He's uh, putting my working environment to shame, most certainly. But uh, for anybody who can't see it, it's red. It's like a burgundy leather chair. It's very impressive. I think I need to up the production quality of where I'm currently sat, given some of the guests that I'm meeting. But that is a work in progress. That is a work in progress, everybody. Matt, for anybody who doesn't know you on the group, would you like to do a quick intro of yourself, who you are, yeah, of and why you'd like to speak on buy to lets this evening. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think quite a few dentists probably already know me. I've been I've been working with dentists uh, as a financial advisor for fifteen years. So uh, you know, lots of the people that I've seen pop up on the group are either clients or people that I've come across in the past. Um, as I said, I've been working with dentists for fifteen years. Um, I'm a chartered financial planner by qualification, but for the people that I work with, I just get them to think of me as a money coach. So anything to do with money, just pick up the phone, send me an email and let's chat. And I think that's a really good uh, sort of starting off point for what we're going to talk about today, because I think it is all about a discussion. Uh, I think having worked with dentists for 15 years, there are three things that I know about them to be cast ironly true that nobody can argue with. <laughs> Number one, um, dentists in general don't like talking about money. It's it's a bit of a taboo subject. It's something that they don't really like talking about, and which is why I think your group is really good, because I do think we should have it not as a taboo subject. The second thing that they, that they don't do is that they do not trust people in suits. Uh, and so I've really kind of got my work cut out for me, as do most financial advisors. And the third thing that I know is that they don't trust people in suit to talk about money. So we're going to really have to make the content Double excellent whammy. today. Whammy. Yes, yeah. to, to get over that. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been running my own practice of financial advice for 15 years. And I've seen over 
you know, that time, thousands of people do things well and badly. And, and along with my professional qualifications, I just want to help people be better with their money and, and make savvier decisions rather than perhaps some of the decisions that they follow uh, other people because, you know, dentists trust dentists. Well, it's the received knowledge. It's the received yeah. knowledge, like I say. I mean, how many dads, how many people have dads on the group that encourage them to buy houses? I know, I know mine does. Yeah. It's quite mm-hmm. a common thing, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's, it's hand-me-down knowledge get some houses, safest houses, invest in them, hold them long-term, you'll make money, which is true, well, which you might well yeah. do, which is fair. But is there a more efficient way to do it? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to have a really good sort of delve and dive into today. I, I must say, uh, you know, uh, one of the brilliant things about the group is that everybody can offer opinions. But as a regulator, you know, a regulated person, I'm not allowed to offer an opinion because it's considered advice. So as a bit of a, uh, as a sort of starting point today that, None of this can be considered advice. All we want to do today is get people to think differently. Dentistry and and medical professionals in general have a habit of just following what everybody else does. And because of that, perhaps lack of trust in in financial professionals, they they tend to follow other things rather than exploring their options. A typical analogy that I use is that dentists like to play the same card. Uh, They don't really look at the rest of the deck. And I suppose for me, the aim today is to get you to think differently. And is, are there other cards that you could play? Yeah, fair enough. So not advice as such, just information for your consideration. Yeah, and a discussion point. Let's get people thinking differently. Let's get people talking to financial professionals, uh, building trust relationships with them, because ultimately, and you said it brilliantly at the start of it, the more links we have in our chains, the more successful we're going to be. Speak with Gravitas in this matter, Matt. You must have done some buy-to-lets, property investing yourself. I, I certainly have, yeah. Um, you know, I, I probably did the first uh, buy-to-let was, you know, I, I had a flat in Manchester for many years that I lived in. And when I moved out of that into a family home, I decided to keep it because I thought, you know, that would be a good thing to do uh, and do that. Uh, you know, after four or five years of renting it out, I worked out that my best year of return after uh, things you know breaking and tenants leaving in the middle of the night and those sorts of things uh, was two percent gross. That means after tax, I got a lot less, uh, and so that was really something that played on my mind. And, and you know, during that time period as well, I also bought a, a, another apartment that I thought was at a good price, so I bought it and rented it out and so forth. And again, I got a little bit more on that uh, because it was something I specifically bought with the idea of making money, whereas the previous one was just something I was holding on to. Um, but again, I got tenants fighting in the middle of the night. I got things breaking. I got estate agents ringing me and saying the boiler's broken. And when I said, well, deal with it, they said, no, no, we just ring you to tell you that it needs doing. I thought, well, what am I paying you for then? I think a tenant could just ring me. Mm-hmm. And so I, a big consideration of mine was hassle is that it's, it, it's a great asset to have if it's working. But if it isn't working, it's an almighty noose around your neck. And you know that in some cases, you're only 30 days from having to pay the mortgage without an income. And that was something that really kind of weighed on my mind. And, and when I disposed of that, that property, um, I, I used that money and I got a 40% return guaranteed with no risk. And no really risk. interestingly, no risk. If I can get you tomorrow 40% return on any money that you want to invest with no risk. Okay. Now, no risk. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds good, doesn't it? It does. A little too good. Right. It sounds fantastic. Now, I'm going to shatter it now because I'm going to make it boring. 
that's a pension contribution. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, any money you put into a pension gets you 40% tax relief with no risk because you can invest your pension into a money market fund that will never fluctuate. Probably shouldn't do that. You should probably put it in something that will beat inflation. But again, when you, I've had this conversation with clients over time, self-employed dentists, private dentists, orthodontists, using limited companies, not in the NHS pension scheme. Hey, would you like to get a 40% return on your money? Oh, yeah, great. Let's put it into a pension. Oh, I don't like the idea of a pension. That seems boring. Or I heard in the 80s, they went a bit funny. And people were frauded. Yeah, when there was no regulation. Now, really top quality investment that you can do in certain situations. Again, this is not advice. You should explore with a financial advisor whether it's right for you to do that. But ultimately, a vital that's probably never going to get you 40% return guaranteed. A pension contribution will. And to give it a bit of idea, if you're buying vitalets for retirement, then that's a form of retirement planning. A pension is also a form of retirement planning. So just a consideration, you know, we said we might be a little controversial at the beginning. We said we might prick some people's ideas and thoughts. And I think that's probably a good one that might encourage people to perhaps be a bit more open to, to pensions, which is a topic that most people don't understand or, or perhaps haven't had much education in. Cool. Awesome. Well, in that case, let's not mess up on anymore. Let's cut to the chase. Why do you think Bidelets are dead? Tell us. Well, the, 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 it's, a, it's a great finite statement, that, James. I, and I wouldn't say that they are dead, mm-hmm. because I think that that is, you know, a, a very categorical statement. And there are examples where Bidelets can still do really well. I think the key thing that I would want to try and put across to people tonight is that it's not about them being dead. It's about the fact that the rules around how they are treated, particularly for tax, have changed. And they were, they were announced, these proposals were announced four years ago, but were fully implemented in April 2020. And, and there was quite a lot going on back in April 2020. So, you know, I think they would have got a lot more media coverage uh, had there not been COVID and all, all these things going on. And... You know, we spoke about early, slightly earlier about the culture of dentists following dentists and doctors following doctors. Um, for me, because Vitalets have been such a home run slam dunk for the last 20 years, and because yeah, socially, medially, culturally, we've always had it ingrained on us that Vitalet is king, nobody questions that. And certainly when you get people like me, you know, I, over the last few years, I've spent you know, countless hours doing hundreds of calculations for clients with vitalettes. And I, and I haven't seen any that are going to make money post the new rules. And so I think people need to be aware of those things so that if they are going to buy to vitalette, they don't do it just because they think it's a good investment. They do it because they know it's a good investment and have invested the time to calculate what returns they're going to make after tax. I see. Can you elaborate on those new rules then a little bit? Yeah, so for people holding property in their personal name, what we have now is something called the loss of mortgage interest relief. So in the past, the cost of your interest on your mortgage was something you could deduct as a cost against your tax. So in a typical scenario where you had a mortgage that was costing you £600 and a rental income of £800, in the past you'd go, right, okay, well, I can deduct £600 and my profit is going to be lower um, but my tax uh, isn't going to be as much. Now, now what they're going to say is, okay, we're not going to allow you to use the mortgage interest as a cost anymore. 
So you can get the 800 income, you can write off upkeep, you can write off estate agents' costs, things like that. But the vast majority of rental income is going to be taxed. And for, for high-earning professionals, dentists, for example, where you've got you know most people as higher rate taxpayers at 40% and some additional rate at 45%, if you've still got a cost of 600 and your rental income after tax is only now 500, well, you're going to lose every month. Really? And it's, I, oh, sorry, I thought you were finished. Go on. No. So, so, so that's really the thing that's changed in the law. If you're holding it personally, which of course most people do, slightly different if you're holding it in a limited company, you still can get away uh, with some of the things that were, were there before. And just going back to what we said is that, you know, I've had conversations with clients in the last years, two years, who come to me with the idea of I'm going to buy a bike to let. And I said, oh, hang on, how much money are we going to make from it? And almost I've had to rein them in and say, oh, let's sit down and do the calculations. And they go, no, no, it's a, it's a property. My dad's always said property will be great. Yeah, well, your dad might have thought that 10 years ago, but is he aware of the new rules? Let's, let's not have a blindfold and walk towards a cliff. Let's take the blindfold off and see if there's a better way to walk. Uh, and so that, that's really the, the sort of aim of today is to get people to go, oh, do you, do you know that this is happening? And if you do and you're thinking of a bike to let, well, let's work out if it's worth it and could other things outperform it. Did I hear you correctly earlier? Did you say it was as stark as you've yet to see one since the new regulations have been brought in place that's profitable? Given the, uh, given, yes. given the circumstance that you said, obviously it's held, held personally and you're a higher or additional rate taxpayer. If I grasp that correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, people with limited companies with properties in them and Slightly so forth, different. Different, different kettle of fish. What, what I would say is in the last two or three years, when I've had discussions with clients for buy-to-lets and they've said, what do you think? I can tell you of one that I thought, mm, good idea. Wow. And that was a very small cost house, 40, 50,000 pounds in East Lancashire uh, with uh, money that was being given to them by their parents, you know, and a deposit of kind of 10,000 pounds secures the property and rented out to to the council who are going to put tenants in it ad infinitum. Not a bad investment uh, there and return on it was pretty good even after tax. Uh, but I'll take you to a scenario a few years ago when this was going in. I had a, a dentist ring me and say, I'm going to buy a one million pound buy to let in London. And I, they were referred to me and I said, OK, great. Before we do you the mortgage for you, um, why are you doing that? And they said, well, because it's a buy to let. I said, yeah, but a million pound you're going to spend, you're going to have three quarters of a million pound debt on a million pound house. How much rental income are you going to make? And the dentist didn't want to have the discussion on how much rental income he's going to make. He was just so convinced that because it's a buy to let, it'll be fine. He, he was going to do it anyway. And despite the fact that it was his second property in stamp duty, was about 50K, where he's going to make £50,000 on second before he makes any money but to get his second charge stamp duty back. Uh, but he wouldn't have it. And ultimately... I had to ring my client and say, thanks for the referral, but they're not prepared to listen. Uh, I can't take them on as a client. It's, and he said, well, yeah, no problem. And the referral said, well, I need you to do the mortgage. I don't do an order taking. I'm a professional advisor. You shouldn't be buying the property. 
And I would love to know what happened. I might ask my client, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, crunch but... the numbers is worth it by the signs of it. Can I ask, where was that house? Hmm. Where was that house based, that the one that was successful? Or the one that you said? Uh, East Lancashire. I believe it was like Accrington or Blackburn or somewhere like that. Okay, yeah. so in the north. And traditionally, that's where oh, yeah. houses with better rental yields are, of course. Well, it was just that his mortgage debt on on probably, I think it was about £30,000 mortgage was going to cost about £80, £100 a month. Yeah. And his rental income was guaranteed by my accounts at about 500 yeah. So even with 40% tax, he was he was doing all right on, on that amount of money. Okay. Um, but to give you another example, I also look after a few different types of professions. Not everyone I work with is a dentist or a doctor. You know, they're married to other people. And I have a, a firm of estate agents that I had a conversation with two years ago. And they had a buy-to-let portfolio of 150 uh, investment investment properties and when i told them about the new rules even as a state agent that you would expect to be absolute experts in this area um, i showed them we went through their, their portfolio and there were two that are going to remain profitable out of about 100 Yikes. and and they went white mm. absolutely white and i sat in them i said we need to speak with your accountant to get some of these sold because you, you've got some cgt capital gains tax release we can use and you, you don't want to be in a position where, you know, next year, this was a year, year before the full it was implemented, you're going to be in the hole by about 10 grand a month for this portfolio. Okay. And, and that was a firm of estate agents who you think would be well-versed on property. So it's about having somebody who knows what they're talking about help you to understand things outside perhaps your current knowledge sphere. So your main line of argument is it's this new legislation that shifts the goalposts somewhat in terms of our expected returns. Can you give us any yeah. more information on what this legislation describes or what any more specifics about it? Yeah, well, um, if effectively what, what's happened is that the government is no longer allowing people to use mortgage interest as a cost uh, against the in- rental income. So people are going to have to pay more tax on the rental income while still footing the bill of a mortgage and cost. Okay. Fair enough. Just and, as you said earlier then, really, not or anything else in addition? or uh, No, and I suppose the other uh, thing to think about is that if you are buying a second property, you've also got second charge stamp duty, which has been around for a few years. So, you know, you pay the normal stamp duty, and then because you own a second property, you've got a further 3% to pay, uh, which can be extremely significant. And of course, if you've got upfront costs, then your, your property has to repay those upfront costs through profits before you get to a profit. And if you've got a high amount of second charge stamp duty, you know, in some cases, tens of thousands, then it's going to be many years before you actually see a real rate of return. Uh, so, so yeah, making sure people are aware of, of those topics. We are, of course, living in an inverted commas stamp duty holiday at the minute. I know that that's going to change in a few months. Do you see that affecting things? Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes that Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistuinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues, 
However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, I, I actually think it'll make it worse um, because at the moment we're paying less people, investors are paying less stamp duty because you'd get some of it waived for, for being a second uh, property. Of course, if that holiday uh, goes away in March, as the, as the Chancellor has, has stated, uh, I actually think it might get extended and I'm hopeful that for home buyers, particularly first time buyers and so forth, I think it'd be a really good idea to keep it going. Um, I, I think it's the only thing, and we said we might be a little controversial tonight. Uh, again, this isn't advice, it's my opinion. I think it's the only thing propping the housing market up. I think we may well see a, a decrease in prices uh, because there has been this rush to buy in the last six months because people are going to save money. We've had lots of clients buying property and us doing mortgages that I think will tail off once once that ends. I believe Harry Singh said something similar in one of the earlier podcasts. So. I don't think you're alone in that opinion, and it would stack up, I suppose, if there's less demand, I guess. I suppose we've heard before, and a lot of people might say, that financial advisors don't really tend to recommend houses so much as an investment. Some might say, some might say, that that's because financial advisors have nothing to gain from it as such. I know there's many different arrangements in the financial advisor world. That would be my understanding of it, and I don't think I'm alone in saying that. What would you say in response to those people? Well, I think I think certainly uh, in, in in some financial advice cases where people are only really in, in, interested in getting clients who want to invest money in the stock market, you're probably not far wrong there. But I think if you've got a holistic financial advisor who helps their clients with every single area, then actually that's not true. You know, if we take our practice for example. Um, you know, we do absolutely everything for our, for our clients. Uh, we arrange mortgages. We arrange buy-to-let mortgages if necessary. And, you know, we do get the procuration fees from the lenders. We, we charge a fee to the clients for doing the work. Uh, we recommend buildings and contents policies, which give us quite a nice trail being renewed each year. Uh, and we also recommend the protection that's required to, to look after the property. So actually, we get paid quite well for, for buy-to-lets. Um, the key thing that I want to do as a professional advisor is I want the absolute best outcomes for my clients. I ultimately, I suppose, like most dental professionals, people have you know, they really they don't always do the job for money. They will they will do extra for their patients because they want better results. And that's exactly what I do. I want to make sure that our clients get the very best results possible long term. So I will sit them down and say, okay, if you want to do the buy to let, that's cool. But we've we've got to crunch the numbers. We're not doing this just because in the past our dads have done it. We're doing it because it's a good idea and it makes financial sense. So if we do the numbers and it works out really well, then great. We'd love to get paid to help you with the with the with the actual arrangement. Um, but if it doesn't make sense and something else could outperform it with less hassle uh, and less upfront costs, well, surely we'd want to you know make a decision based upon all all the knowledge rather than just as we talked about before playing playing the same card over and over. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Just good that we clear up, I suppose, that potentiality for. Mm. conflict of interest there yeah absolutely I just, I just yeah wanted, yeah i just wanted to hear your slant on it was all mm. yeah we've talked about the situations where we no longer believe or you, you, i suppose that you were arguing earlier that you no longer believe a buy to let is appropriate is there any situation where we can talk about those individuals who are interested in purchasing buy to lets where it may still be appropriate even if 
they were on the higher tax band or the additional tax band. I know that you said, yeah. was, I know, okay, there was that one off, that one house in outside Blackburn or whatever it was, but more broadly speaking, are there any instances where you would consider it or tend to suggest it as a good idea to your clients? Well, I'll go back to what you said before. I don't, I don't want to be categorical here and say that I do not think my tax is a good idea. I think it's part of a discussion and part of a good balanced portfolio of investments for the long term. I just think you've got to do it at the right time and make sure that the numbers make money without just doing it sort of blindfolded. If you I hear guess. you. Okay. And the way that I suppose that I would I would suggest that if you do want to try and make some money from Vitalet, it's it's starting with the numbers. It is starting with how much am I going to cost going to be, how much my rental income is going to be. Um, and then and then make sure that don't stop at that calculation. Most people stop at, if I'm getting 800 and I'm paying 400, that's good. No, it isn't. What you've got to do then is apply your tax bracket and think about, okay, in 100% of circumstances when it's fully tenanted, nothing breaks, even after tax, what am I going to get? Because then if something breaks and then we don't get tenants, it's even worse. So it's looking at that. And then I think the other thing that would be, if you are absolutely desperate to do buy to let, and, and you're a staunch believer and I won't be convinced any other way is make sure you do it through a limited company because the rules uh, for properties in a limited company are different to those being held by, by individuals. Uh, again, we talked about maybe being a little controversial tonight, James. Uh, I think if we've thought of that solution, the government have probably also thought of that solution as well. So it would not surprise me in the next couple of years if the government come to look at, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Dentist, have got one by to let in a limited company. Okay, well that's tax avoidance. So let's uh, let's put some legislation in place to maybe take care of that. So yeah, for now I think that's a good solution, and that may work forever. Uh, but uh, if we've thought of that solution, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure the government have as well. Something to think about. And the trouble with a house as an asset is it's very illiquid. So trying to shift it, trying to shift it just because <clears throat> of a sudden change in rules, that would be a nightmare. Worth considering. Yeah. Worth considering. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a lot of people want to try and sell their limited company. A lot of people said to me, I'm going to sell my my, um, my properties into a limited company now because I can save on the rules. But after a conversation with their accountant, they realized that they've got capital gains tax, they've got all sorts of other things and costs, and it's not as simple as doing that. So if you hold properties in, in your personal name, I, I would suggest speaking to a financial advisor, uh, myself, uh, anybody who's got the knowledge to show you how it works, and just simply understand, are, are you going to make money? And then don't follow, I suppose, the old adage of you know throwing good money after bad. If it's not going to work in the future, then cut your losses and, and move on to something else. Do you think that COVID might change anything that we said tonight? Do we, If we view it through that lens, does it make any difference? I, I can't see a scenario where it does. Um I suppose the tax rules are the tax rules and COVID's not going to change those. I suppose if I'm being really, really sort of putting on my on my, my, my future vision goggles here is that we've got to repay the COVID bill somehow. And, and, and inevitably that will probably mean higher taxes uh, and the government looking for revenue. Um, and they've already started to target property owners, uh, particularly because there's a lack of properties in the South and, Lots of held by landlords, and that's a big reason why they've put this in. Really, they want properties in the hands of of owners, not landlords. It's better for the economy uh, that way. Um, so I don't think COVID will change anything, other than the government 
may have to come looking for extra taxes, but of course there are lots of ways for them uh, to find that. I think the only other way that I would, and I think we might come on to my experiences with buy-to-let, but the only way that at the moment I would personally buy a buy-to-let is through a limited company and and a distressed sale. So if something's worth a couple of hundred thousand and I can get it for, you know, 150, then, you know, because and it's a horrible thing to think about, but somebody's lost their job, they need to sell, or people are desperate to get rid of buy-to-let properties because, uh, you know, they realize they're going to make a loss. Then if you're then going to hold it and you bought it at a big at a deep discount, you know, then maybe. But I believe property as an asset class is, if you look at the property price index of the UK, it's, a, it's, an, it's, all, it's an, at an all-time high. And the old adage of buy low and sell high would mean that at the moment, if you're looking for a, an asset that's good value for money, it's the stock markets around the world. Uh, and, you know, they are lower and property is higher. If that swings the other way because of COVID and we get some sort of national depression slash COVID Brexit type, you know, affair then the property comes down in value and you can you know like we did in 2008 have lots of properties being received by uh people you know being repossessed which from a an emotional standpoint is horrible but but in finances you, you've got to think about profit and you, and you kind of have to put some of that to the side which is not nice but my money my my job isn't to be emotional for clients it's uh to uh, you know be technical and make sure that people are making the most money they can if we think about how these buy-to-lets, these people who own these buy-to-lets are actually generating rental income, it would stand yeah. to reason, in my view, again, I'm a layman, you'll know more than me, that there are probably a lot of buy-to-lets that are vacant at the minute, given how many students are mm-hmm. at home, not going to university, et cetera, et cetera. And I know that that's just one sector, but there are so many students you know, and maybe that's just the one example I can think of off the top of my head. People who would otherwise be renting but are now cohabiting with their parents or somebody else. Is this a factor? I, I think absolutely. Um, I think one of my bugbears with property in general, and certainly when I when I owned by Tillets, which I do not anymore, was the fact that, you know, the stock market will keep making me money or that it might go up and down over time it's never going to be void. It's never going to have a broken boiler. Um, and so I think you're right. I think when, when we see, you know, university accommodation not being filled, uh, that that's going to have, a, you know, an immediate impact on people who have buy type properties who, who rely on that income or have a debt on it and have to pay it. I think also we look at holiday lets. Uh, I think about a client of mine that I had a conversation with just yesterday. They bought a holiday let against my advice last year, that I didn't think it would make any money. This was before COVID. Uh, and they've not been able, it's in Wales, and for six or seven months this year, they've not been allowed to rent it out. Uh, and so they've had a thousand pound bill every month for the, for the, for the mortgage, a thousand pound plus probably, uh, without making any money. And of course, that's an unusual situation, but, but it does highlight the fact that you, you need somebody to be in your property for you to make money. And if there isn't, then you won't be. Um, and I think commercial property as a sector as well, in some stances, can be really, uh, could, could really be affected. I, I was talking to one of my solicitors today who said that their firm won't be going back into an office. So whoever owns yeah, that building I mean. this is what I mean. won't be getting a rental income from that company. I think we've learned through you know, medium like this. I, I haven't seen a client face to face for a year. 
I've learned that I can do my different my business differently, and I think people will use property differently in the future. See, I that's why I wanted to ask that question because <clears> the student one was the one that I could think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there were others. Yeah. People who are working from home, whereas before COVID, they didn't realize, I suppose, that it was possible. Now, because it's necessary, mm-hmm. we might, going forwards, should, fingers crossed, COVID just, you know, disappear in a few, well, yeah, sooner, sooner rather than later. Sooner. Yeah, sooner <laughs> rather than later. Then there will be, all, there will be people who will say things along the lines of, well, actually, we managed to run this business perfectly fine without a property for all of however long. You know, do we necessarily need to rent the premises again? I think it's, I mean, again, I was talking to a friend of mine whose job is IT sales. And uh, she was telling me that um, their industry is really struggling because, you know, a number of their clients have decided not to have their, their big open buildings anymore and just to pay, it's cheaper to pay people to work from their home. Food for uh, thought, food for uh, thought. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. There'll always be overheads in dental practices. That's one thing you can't outsource. Well, I think I think as a, in dental practices, you're fairly safe that the building is going to be occupied uh, because, uh, James, you can't do my teeth from there. No, so. no, I know. I always get rather <laughs> jealous when I talk to my friends and they're working from home. And uh, yeah, having said that, though, I don't know if I could stay in the house all day, every day. But that's one of the downsides of being a dentist. There's many positives. I'm sure everybody who's listening would agree. Oh, well, absolutely. It's a fantastic career that can give people some real options. And I think one of the best things about working with, with clients is that I, I, you know, I say to clients, I want to know what's really important to you. I want to know what long term you want to achieve, be that a certain type of retirement, a certain lifestyle in retirement, lifestyle before. You know, do you want your children to pay for your children's wedding? In a kind of morbid way, I talk about with clients and say, look, if we're sat here in 60 years, both on our deathbeds, what are we going to talk about? What are the things we're going to be really interested in? Because it won't be the cost of coffees. It, it, it won't be that takeaway we had. It'll be I pay for my kids to go to uni. And ultimately, I suppose the aim that I have with my clients is that I want people to achieve those very big goals. and I want them to achieve it in the fastest, most tax efficient way. And if that's a buy to let, great. But if it isn't, I want them to consider what the alternatives are that might outperform it. Presumably, when you're having these conversations with individuals, you'll recommend them an alternative. What is it stocks then you had in mind or diversifying various things? Well, it, it's, it's a great question, James. Um, it, it goes back to the individuality of the person. So, for example, I, today I've had an array of meetings. I had one with a client who's 65, uh, has got a very large pension, is very happy. And we were talking about, you know, what he might do with some of his spare money and so forth. And it was all about his grandchildren. That's what he wanted to invest for. Whereas I had a meeting this morning with a 26-year-old dentist who, who wants to buy a house for her to live in. And, and the things that I would recommend for her and, and the other person would be very different in individual. It, uh, it could be stocks and shares. ISIS. It could be personal pensions. Uh, it could be venture capital trusts, enterprise investment schemes, unit trusts. Um, it's absolutely everything. And I suppose the idea with being a money coach is it's not all about products. It's about helping people to understand the best way to use their money. Uh, so, I, again, a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with one of my dentists who's really unhappy in dentistry. And she said, I'm going to jack it all in. I don't want to do it. That's OK. But, but there must be one bit of dentistry that you really like. She said, I like, I, like, I like aesthetics. I don't want to do anything but aesthetics. I said, right, OK. Well, don't jack it all in. Just work away to do aesthetics. It might, you might not see it straight away, 
you might need to do aesthetics on a, on a Friday and then work backwards. And when you're busy, you make it to a Thursday. When you're even busy, you make it to a Wednesday. And, uh, you know, that's a conversation I've had with many clients over the years to try and get them to uh, think differently. And a conversation, a very similar conversation with somebody, with somebody three or four years ago, she's now running an incredible aesthetics business. And we had a conversation, you know, probably as we do every six months, and every conversation we have with her, she thanks me. Because she says, I wouldn't have done this without you sort of coaching me to think differently. And so that's nothing to do with products. A good financial advisor isn't all products. It's about listening to what your clients' needs are and giving them the benefit of 15 years of, of talking to people and, and understanding you know, that things don't have to be a certain way. They can be other ways too. Can I just say one thing from listening to you? I think that there might be many people listening who may not agree with things that were said on the show tonight. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Everyone's mm. entitled to their yeah. opinion. The one thing that's got me thinking the most is the point that we raised about COVID, what that world would look like afterwards. And there is no conceivable scenario for me that there will be more demand for rental after this. Now, I'd be really interested if someone could set me straight on that or change my way of thinking. That is quite a quite a mm. big, big thing to say. But given what we've said this evening, I just can't see how there's going to be more people who want to rent more office space and more houses, given that the world, given that the world has shifted to work towards a more decentralized fashion. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but that is just my perspective on it. It might be that I'm completely overlooking something. I've just had this thought spur of a moment just when we were talking earlier, Matt. And like I say, I just really, really am struggling to see at this point how there will be more demand for more houses and more rental spaces and businesses, et cetera, et cetera. I could be wrong. What do you think? I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with you, James. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't agree, but I don't disagree either. Yeah. Um, I think there will always be areas of the country where there are strong rental incomes and strong uh, you know, tenants that, that, can, that can yield you money for the long term if the house is right and the price is right and so forth. But I think you're right. You know, the vast majority of people who I who I know who have uh, buy-to-let properties are, are, are student flats. And, uh, you know, and I think the shrinking of, of, of mentality where people are saying, okay, we might not go back to that building. We might not bother you in that. There'll always be industries where you need a building, but they're not all there anymore. And so I think, I don't think you're, you're wrong. And I guess the, the point of today is that if people are watching this thinking, oh, this guy's talking rubbish and he's wrong. My challenge would be, Am I? Have a real look into the numbers with the new rules and decide for yourself. Don't just dismiss me because your dad's always told you that property's been great. Because things have changed. So go and look into it. And that's the entire point of this. I am not saying buy tilt is terrible. Nobody should do it. I'm saying that I want you to get out of the dental sheet bubble and the mentality that everybody does property because everybody does property, step outside the herd, have a look around, and really look into it for yourself. That's what we want. Cool. Absolutely. There might be something that I haven't considered because this I've just conceived of this thought as we were speaking earlier, but at this point, I'm struggling to see. And I think that that is a really good point, effectively. So just wanted to throw my hat into the ring on that. Maybe what, however things pan out in the future, I'll be wrong. 
maybe things will be back to normal. Who knows? Fingers crossed they will do. I really don't know at this stage. But it's just, if nothing else, it's an interesting perspective and an interesting thought. Yeah. Definitely, 100%. So I know that you said earlier, Matt, that you can help dentists with their financial affairs. How is it that you do that? Can you just offer us a little bit more information on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I have a, a program of, of financial advice and I look for candidates that I can work with for the very long term. And, I, and I'm only really interested in people that I can see myself having that yearly annual relationship with. Uh, and, and I'm getting to build a real relationship of trust over the next 30 odd years. We have a lot of people wanting to just, you know, could you do a mortgage for us when we talk about income protection or, uh, or, or practice financing or their pensions? Oh, no, I don't want that. Well, that's not what we want. We want people who want a relationship of trust with somebody who can add value in areas that they may not know about. And particularly, you know, I'm holistic. So I will work with VTs in, in old money to get them set up properly with, you know, the savings for their first home, their income perceptions. And I will work all the way through to people who are selling their practices and want to, you know, dispose of the proceeds of the practice in a tax efficient way and everything in between. And I suppose my message to anybody who doesn't have a financial advisor is you should. You should find somebody that you can trust and build that relationship with, even if it's not me, because ultimately they know more than you do about certain subjects. I wouldn't go to a financial advisor about my teeth, but people go to dentists about their financial advice, which I think is not quite the way it should be. So find somebody that you can have a really good, trusted relationship with and help them to understand your circumstances, what you want to achieve, and they can help you to understand concepts that you might not even be aware of. And if that sounds good to you and you're looking for somebody uh, and you don't have somebody, then you know, get in touch with me at the practice. And, and you know, we don't take everybody on. We look for the right type of people. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough time. I don't have enough meeting slots in the week to take everybody that would like to see me, but I want good people uh, that I can have a good long-term relationship with and ultimately enjoy my time with too. Cool. Well, if you like what you heard tonight and you thought anything was of interest, I'm sure Matt will be happy to clarify if you were to drop him a message. He is on the group, so feel free to chat to him. Absolutely 100%. An interesting one and certainly a a topic that, like I say, it's very common that we all receive, you know, dogma, I suppose, that uh, about buy-to-lets. I I do think the point about there being less students and less people who want rentals is a really interesting one. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. At least if nothing else, and you do own some buy-to-lets, maybe it's worth diversifying and, you know, uh, spreading your wealth across other assets to hedge yourself should the situation for buy-to-lets be unfavorable in future. Does that sound reasonable to you? You know... You might have I think opinions. so. You might have your opinions, whatever those might be, and that's completely fair yeah. enough. But if you've got diversification in your portfolio, it's a hedge against everything else, and that's why it's interesting to hear these points of views. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And reiterate what we've said all along is this is not about telling you that the buy to let is not a good idea. This is about getting people to think differently. It's getting people to perhaps trust the financial advisor where they may not. And it's about making you get out of the kind of the bubble that it's it's king because it might not be. And don't walk into it just because you think it is. Let's do the numbers, work out someone to do it. So people can find you on Facebook. Is that right, Matt? Anywhere else that they might be able to search for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me, Matt Rickard, on Facebook. I've got a sort of a profile that you can add as a friend. Feel free to do that. I've also got a public page that you can follow. Uh, and then uh, uh, Instagram, so at The Wealth Life Coach. Uh, if you like financial advice tips, uh, good-looking food uh, and pro wrestling and sports, I think you might get some more out of that anyway. Uh, and on there, I'll be plugging and uh, promoting over the next month uh, the talks that I'm doing on on pensions, on, on, on more a technical session on this subject we've been talking today. Uh, and feel free to, uh, to follow me and, and look out for those sessions and join in if you'd like to. Cool. Awesome. Well, I've learned a lot tonight and definitely a new perspective on, as I say, buy to let's, which is super interesting. Thank you so much for giving up your evening, Matt. I'm going to let you get off now. My pleasure. It's been great to chat with you, James. Absolute pleasure, my friend. I hope we speak very soon. You too. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.